Hello, everyone, and welcome to How to Chess Season 3. We are joined by a friend of How to Chess, a friend of Perpetual Chess, a very good friend of Chessable. He is a prolific and popular Chessable author, trainer, and accomplished chess player as a youth champion in his native Ukraine. He was the 2018 Under-20 champion. Shout out to Ukraine, by the way. Uh, He attended grad school at Webster and has finished grad school but remains in the U.S. He has a USCF peak rating over 2,500, and we are happy to welcome him back to How to Chess. Welcome. I am Yuri Kraken. How are you, Yuri? Hi, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. I'm great. Looking forward to this conversation today. Yeah, I'm excited to have you as well. And as I alerted you, the theme for season three, we're, we're going with a theme this year, is role models, uh, chess role models in particular, as much as uh, we all might love Messi. Um, he's not a good chess role model, or at least not the best one. Um, you know, clever ad featuring him playing chess notwithstanding. Anyway, um, so Yuri, when I asked you about role models in chess, what came to mind for you as you thought back on your chess development? Oh, um, it's definitely a question, I think the answer would definitely vary over the course of the years, but by far the first thing I would think about are the two coaches that I had from very teenage years when I started to my adulthood that influenced my past the most, so probably that would be the answer, absolutely. Okay, yeah, and of course, Ukraine has a rich chess legacy. Uh, I've been privileged to interview players like Ivanchuk and Panamaryov and... Uh, Anna Muzichuk, and there's so many others as you go back through the years. Of course, there's emigres uh, like yourself and uh, GM Eugene Perlstein and lots of lots of students over there in St. Louis. Um, so what was the pipeline like there? Uh, were you Did you feel like you were learning from a curriculum or was it more just sort of the spirit of chess and the joy for chess that your early coaches uh, transmitted to you, Yuri? Oh, I think it is definitely a lot more on the passion side of things. So actually, when I came to the club for the first time, I was 12. And actually, it's interesting because my coach, he was 22 at the time. He was just starting out and it was his very first group. And uh, yeah, I think he just started maybe a month before I got there. So um, I'm not sure if he had developed any methodology by that point, but he was extremely passionate. He was just breathing chess and, you know, leaving chess. And I think that passion definitely is very contagious. And I think that's the thing that comes to mind first. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people who end up achieving as much as you have in the game, that is the most important thing that you look for from an early teacher, because I'm guessing you felt that passion too? Absolutely, 100%. And, you know, especially I think when you're a kid, right, you don't maybe even try to optimize the way you study at first, right? Unlike adults who know, the time is very valuable, right? Many kids get a bit lost, I think, in the process. But the most important thing is, if you're passionate, if you're burning with desire to do things, to learn things, well, you end up learning a lot of things anyway, right? Maybe it's not in the best manner. So I think sharing passion is the most important thing by far, especially for those who are just starting out. Yeah, I've definitely noticed I've been playing a decent amount of tournaments. And obviously these days, that means you play a decent amount of uh, talented kids. And I've noticed even over the board, you can feel their carefree attitude much more so than than the adults. And yeah, I do think that sometimes adults can get in their own heads so much that it can be uh, an impediment to learning. Um, and uh, that doesn't seem to be the case uh, for kids. So you mentioned your early coaches, Yuri. As your uh, chess evolution continued, um, who else have you looked at in terms of uh, chess role models? 
Yeah, so I think inevitably as you play a lot of tournaments as you spend the time in the club, because I grew up in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, and of course we have tremendous chess tradition. We had a lot of strong players from kids my age who were very talented to the older players. You end up meeting them and you end up, well, making friends, liking each other, spending a lot of time, you know, discussing chess, just, you know, being friends. And I think all the people who were around me have definitely influenced me a lot, uh, of course, overwhelmingly positively. And that's, I think, what brings me to the thing we're probably about to discuss. Um, I think a lot of people um, don't really make the right decision. A lot of people are trying to learn, uh, are really focusing on learning from the very best. They look at Kasparov, Karkov, Carlson, which are outstanding players, you know. But I think what a lot of people are really missing out on is learning from those who have been on the very same journey, who might be a step or two or three ahead only. Yeah. Did you have that? So you mentioned your trainers when you were a kid. I'm guessing you climbed the ladder fairly quickly. But does anyone come to mind as like a kid who was just like the next level up throughout your uh, development? Uh, absolutely. For example, one of the kids who I met probably three months or so when after I started uh, was Pavel Voronsov, who uh, actually went to Texas Tech. And um, we are good friends now too, 10 years later. And he's about 26. 2600 right now, a very strong grandmaster. When I was a child, he was several hundred points ahead at all times. Very difficult to catch up to, very gifted. And there were some others as well, but yes, just one example. And was there a specific thing that you saw him doing that you tried to incorporate, or did you just feel like he was better across the board? Um, you know, I think definitely the answer is better across the board, especially because, well, when someone starts many years earlier. Um, but actually, that brings me to one interesting thing. I wasn't really thinking of that until you asked this question. Um, I feel like the uh, very difficult part for me personally, even as a child, despite my passion, was not having the very carefree attitude. I feel like I was very nervous as a kid oh, okay. about the outcome of the games. And the kids that were very successful, I think a lot of them were just very relaxed and I think very, um, you know, very pragmatic maybe about the outcome of the games, right? Because for me, I remember I went to the first tournament uh, out, of, out of my city and I just couldn't sleep already two nights before. It was so, you know, there was so much tension. But I think a lot of the kids who perform much better and adults were just much more carefree. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying for sure. And I've had conversations with friends. Some just naturally get more nervous than others. And that can change over the course of a lifetime. Was that something? But you can't necessarily just say, oh, he's more relaxed. I'm going to be more relaxed. Like it's it's harder than that. We're, so do you feel like you were able to sort of absorb that carefree mindset at all? Um, I think, first of all, you observe that it's very helpful. It doesn't help you change immediately, necessarily. I think, uh, not even not caring, but just being a lot more realistic and pragmatic about the outcomes comes with time, with experience. If you have played, you know, 500 tournament games, naturally you are much more used to the way things work than when it's the game number 10, you know? But yeah, I think it just changes over the course of the years, definitely. Okay. And bringing it back to what you said, which I do think is great advice about finding someone sort of the next rung up on the ladder, not necessarily saying, all right, I, you know, I'm going to learn from, from Ding Loren, um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn from the next player. Some people 
someone might come to mind right away for them, but others feel like may feel like, especially if you're like an online player, you don't necessarily have uh, that role model automatically in place. Do you, can you, does any advice come to mind for someone in that situation, Yuri? Yeah, absolutely. So first, um, it might not be the direct question, but the direct answer, but let me just offer you this, you know, kind of statistic related analogy, right? So let's just say you are rated, for example, 1600 video, right? And, um, well, that means you're facing a lot of competition rated right, 17, 18, 1900, right? As these people are quite a bit ahead of you, maybe not too far ahead, maybe a year or two before you get there, right? But obviously your main problem is how to learn how to beat them, right? You're, you don't have a problem learning how to beat a grandmaster. And so it is very helpful to find someone who does, right? For example, if you just think of ratings, right? Someone who is 400 points higher rated than you, will score about 9 out of 10 with you each time, right? Just to maintain the rating. So if you want to find how to beat people rated 1,800, you just need to find someone who is rated 2,200 and look at their games and they do it every single time. For you, it's a big challenge. And for some, they just do it every day without any stress, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think it is very important. A lot of people, I've even, you know, seen messages from students, right? Or just comments saying something like, I'd never have a coach who is not at least an international master because likely they just have problems with just understanding themselves, you know, and they could teach me something wrong because they just don't know it, you know? And of course, that's not right. Of course, people who are two, three, four hundred points ahead of you are people you could learn a ton from. So I guess the easiest place to start would be if you do play, for example, over the board at your club, just observing the players who are a bit ahead of you. You can find the strongest players in your club and see how they do things. That's good advice. Yeah, so getting involved in your local community, I think, is a great way to hopefully sort of organically find that person you look up to. It might even be someone who beats you in a tournament, and then maybe you can ask them to do a, a post-mortem, and then things can evolve from there. But I, I've certainly, over the years, had some experiences like that, and it is quite helpful to have someone that can sort of show the way. And of course, that's why series is like uh, John Bartholomew and uh, Daniel Naroditsky's Climbing the Rating Ladder, those tend to be pretty popular because you can sort of trace the evolution, but it's not quite the same when it's these chess monsters, you know, when it's these established professionals going through it, as opposed to someone where if you're an amateur and you just want to be the next higher level amateur, it's easier to, I think, in a sense, to learn from someone who's um, who's not, you know, on the level of a Danya or a JB. Um, and one more question for you, or at least one more broad theme on the topic of uh, role models. I do want to bring it back to Ukraine, because as we record this here in late January of 2023, Yuri, obviously, we're all thinking of Ukraine. We're all rooting for them to, uh, you know, force withdrawal from Russia. And it's been a tough time uh, in the world. And of course, it's had some ramifications in the chess world. Now, again, as we mentioned, Ukraine, Ukraine has this rich heritage uh, in the chess world in particular. So who are, do you have Ukrainian role models in particular, Yuri? Um, absolutely. You know, the answer might surprise you a bit. Of course, the non-surprising part is that I could bring up players like Ivanchuk, who of course have, you know, tremendous influence on all the growing players. And of course, all of their games are in spotlight, right? As I was growing up, I would always follow, of course, games of people like Ivanchuk and Ponomarov as they were playing, right? But uh, it's actually interesting because the 
persons that I can think of immediately when you say heritage, because heritage is something that you can have, but also something you can lose, right? You have to continue. You have to keep the momentum going. So in that regard, a big shout out to my first coach, whose name is Valery Grinov. And when, as I said, when we started, he was just 22, starting his coaching career. And he's been tremendous, terrific influence on the Kiev chess community. He is, at this point, helped develop, I don't know, maybe hundreds of kids of different ages and helped create tournaments during the times of pandemic. And he's been tremendous influence. My second coach, who was actually the coach of my first college. <laughs> when he was growing up, has been tremendous influence as well. His name is Leonid Nikolaev. He is about 2300 feet. But generally speaking, yeah, when you talk about heritage, you know, I immediately, for some reason, I'm not sure why, maybe because I'm a coach. Now I think of coaches actually and not players, you know? Okay. Yeah. And, and that's totally valid. As you said, a lot of us, it doesn't like Ivanchuk is always mentioned as like a singular genius, you know? Um, Jonathan Spielman called him the most talented player that has ever walked the earth. So, it's nice. That, congratulations, Chucky. You know, <laughs> good for you. But that, but you can't just be like, okay, I'm going to be the biggest genius in the world. Like the world doesn't work that way. So of course you can draw inspiration from his games. But uh, the people sort of that you encounter every day are often going to um, impart more lessons. So can you say your two trainers' names again, Yuri? Of course. Um, my first coach. He's an international master right now. His name is Valery Grinov. I yeah, said it was obviously okay. the way it would sound in Russian, so this R. <laughs> and my second coach is Leonid Nikolaev. Okay. And in these um, these trying times, as we mentioned, are, do you know if they're okay, Yuri? I think they're doing all right. Well, obviously, as all right as you could be, because, of course, if you live in a city where you have, you know, uh, missile warnings every day, right? I mean, if, you know, you don't get in any physical trouble, if your house does not get destroyed, I mean, it's still a lot of stress, right? I can't, you know, comprehend, well, I have been fortunate, right, to live in the United States right now, but my friends and family members, many of them are in Ukraine, right? If, you know, people say we have been okay, well, they're very strong, right? And it's very inspiring, but of course, it's difficult for me to confirm and say they are okay, right? Because I'm sure that, you know, living under stress is, you know, you get used to it, but we can't normalize the situation and call it all right, you know? It's a very good point. Yeah. So, but yeah, we'll be, we'll be thinking of them as well as all the other innocent uh, Ukrainians. Um, so to sum up, Yuri, this, and we're going to talk about your chessable courses before we go, but just to sum up, to me, some of the primary points I think of uh, in summarizing this conversation is, number one, um, you don't necessarily have to learn from a grandmaster. Um, you, you can just look locally, uh, look to the next level up. Number two, sometimes the lessons you're going to learn are not going to be uh, like strictly like how to win a rook and pawn endgame, but just sort of like that passion for chess um, can take you a long way. And if I were to think of a number three, it might actually be what you learned about trying to be a little more carefree about uh, your games from, was it uh, Voronsov? Sorry, uh, yeah, the Texas Yeah, definitely. And I think from a lot of people. And carefree does not mean not caring, right? I think also our coach at Webster Susan Polgar has been known, well, at least internally, right, for repeating this point all the time, right? You can control the process, right? But you can't always control the outcome. So the question is, okay, did you solve puzzles last week, right, every day? Well, if yes, right, you're doing your best. Okay, maybe you lost the game today, but again, sometimes things don't go the way you plan. But the question is, do you put all the effort you can into the preparation. 
And that's why I always tell my students, right, when we discuss what are our goals for the next half a year, January just started. So we had this conversation with many of them, right? And right. I just try to very strongly discourage everyone from having a goal and increase the rating by 100 points because, well, that can't always be controlled. My goals for them are, why don't you finish two books? by the next, you know, the end of the half a year. Why don't we try to have yourself 2,000 puzzles? Why don't you analyze 50 games, right, in depth? Because all these things, you can clearly control them. You can clearly tell yourself, all right, I've done all of that, right? But when the goal is just the rating or when the goal is some number or, you know, whatever it is that's not fully in our control, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's the most, um, you know, pragmatic and inspiring way to go. Yeah, excellent point. Um... You, you, it's better to have a process rather than outcome-related goals. And I feel it especially now because I just feel like everyone's getting better. So it's a bit <laughs> like you're kind of racing up like a down escalator. <laughs> like everyone's trying to trying to at least maintain their level, if nothing else. Um, so totally relatable. Um, so Yuri, before we say our goodbyes, you're, you're a prolific chessable author. You have eight and counting. It'll probably be at least nine by the time that this interview comes out. So first of all, what is the ninth course? And if you're able to reveal what else you have cooking in your chessable lab besides that, uh, we would love to hear it. Yeah, so my ninth course is a very practical repertoire for Black on the old Benoni. The old Benoni, not the modern Benoni. Yes, correct. So is that where you go E5? So yeah, where Black plays C5 and then E5, yes. Okay. And so from now on, and well, for the last year, my goal has been to stay within a very low variation count while being very descriptive with the words. So this course would probably have about 100 trainable variations, but a lot of text, a lot of model games. And my goals for the next year or two I do have several more interesting opening projects, but I want to keep it really within 100 variations, 150 variations each, and uh, hopefully make it more acceptable and more of a new standard. Because I think, again, I keep saying this, I'll keep saying this until I die, I don't think it will ever change. The amount of workload in most of the courses is too high, and I think it's very important for players. See, that's what we're talking about too, right? About role models. If you learn from someone who is very, very strong, who is a strong grandmaster, you can't really copy their training process because their training process is much more advanced and it's just, you know, trying to meet completely different needs, right? So I think it's very important to try to stay practical. And so most of my future writing will be, I think, uh, devoted to, you know, meeting that standards, really. That's excellent to hear. Yeah, I mean, these voluminous courses certainly have their place, um, especially as you continue to advance uh, in, on the chess ladder. But I think 100 variations or fewer is, is a good way to go. Um, definitely, um, we, we, want, we want it to be manageable. And as you say, uh, more words explaining each move is so, something I've definitely heard from a lot of club players uh, desiring. So um, so it sounds like a great course. As a former modern Bononi player, I might have to check it out myself and uh, look forward to what else you're, you're working on, Yuri. Thank you. Yeah, no, there's a lot of exciting projects. Maybe soon I'll start actually uh, writing middle game and end game courses. That has certainly been a big plan. It's just that there's always some exciting opening ideas that comes up and I can't help myself. I want to cover it. <laughs> but this is certainly also in the pipeline, I think, for the very foreseeable future. Glad to hear it. Well, Yuri, we appreciate your taking the time. Again, we're all thinking of Ukraine. Uh, we will link to your chessable profile for all of your courses that uh, are up to date. Uh, anything to add before we say our goodbyes? 
Thank you so much. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't have anything to add on a personal note, but yeah, I do think that Ukraine needs all the support and all the help it can get right now from military support to, you know, human resources support to refugee support. So it's not, you know, a surprise, I think, to anyone who is listening. But yeah, just important, I think, you know, a lot of the, for example, news outlets that, you know, attention span is very low, right? There has been, have been a lot of, you know, pieces of news in the first week to now in the American media, I don't see as much news about Ukraine. It's important to not forget what's going on. We still have war. We have a lot of people dying and we have a lot of terror, you know, and it's important to not normalize this. It's important to keep, you know, uh, getting as much aid as possible, putting as much pressure internationally as an international community to make sure that everyone does the right thing and that this nightmare ends as soon as possible. Well said. Amen. Um, all right. Well, thanks again, Yuri. Uh, echo your sentiments about Ukraine and uh, good to catch up with you. Absolutely. A pleasure. Thank you so much for the conversation. Okay, take care, Yuri.